grandmother that raised me, you know, when it came time for my birthday, you know, I was celebrated. And I just felt like, you know, I was being tolerated, not celebrated. Oh. And that the quality time wasn't there that I was expecting, you know. And then I started feeling like the whole abandonment again. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to meet daughter Dee, who lives right here in Maryland with me. Dee had a wonderful upbringing where she was cherished and celebrated on her birthdays. When her adoptive mother passed away, Dee learned she was adopted and her world turned into a question mark while mourning. As a late discovery adoptee, she faced secondary rejection, unanswered questions, and misattributed parentage. This is daughter Dee's journey. Dee grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She said she had a wonderful childhood going from kindergarten through college, feeling unconditional love from her parents. When Dee was 23 years old, she was a year out of college on Memorial Day weekend when her mom had gotten sick and she was rushed to the hospital. Dee's sister, who lived in Germany at the time, flew home to be with their mother, who was in critical condition. And she comes home because we're all you know, trying to prepare for mom's passing and just the illness and everything that happened. And she tells me she was adopted. And I said, well, what about me? You know, she's, well, I don't know about you, but here's the name of the agency where they adopted me from. And I said, well, when she gets well, we'll all sit down and talk about it. Mm. She never gets well. She dies. And I find out that the truth was that I was adopted as well. They went through the same agency for both of us. And my mother takes a secret to the grave with her. Wow. And then my adopted father was still living. And I remember making him a nice dinner and sitting down with him and saying, Dad, you know, when were you going to tell us? And he said they kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And after a while, he said it was like, why bother to say anything? Jeez, mm, that is crazy. Wow. First, I'm sorry for how you found out to, to have it come about at a time of such grief already as you're losing your mother. But then to right. have this earth shattering information come at you at the same time must have been absolutely horrible. Wow. Can I ask, do you recall any feeling whatsoever of being different than your family when you were growing up before you knew? Yeah, I thought I was different, but I, I asked questions, but I accepted them and I didn't investigate further. So for, we were raised in a Christian home. We went to the African Methodist Episcopal Church every Sunday. And it was a traditional family life. My father, he was the provider. He worked and my mother stayed at home when we were small, when we were young. And we had good family values, good traditions, always celebrated birthdays, holidays. And it was the American dream. My father later, I remember interviewing him before he died. I said, well, no, what, what were your dreams? What did you always want? He said, you know, everything I ever wanted was a family, a family, a house and a pension. 
<laughs> that's what he got, you know, like and he was a world, a world War II veteran. Mm-hmm. So like what more could you ask for? Yeah. Yeah. Simple. And he was, he was, yeah. yeah. And he was twelve years my mother's senior. So when my mother adopted me, I was two and a half months. She was thirty-five, and he was forty-seven. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. But he was older, so he was like a father and a grandfather to me, all in one. Dee shared that her sister told her that they were both adopted, and then she just kept on telling her story. I figured that had to have been a surreal moment for her to learn something so life-altering about herself. So I asked Dee to go back and tell me more about the moment she heard the news. So ironically, I was sitting on my childhood bed. <laughs> I had a, like a twin size bed and I still have it today. <laughs> and we were sitting in my room and she starts telling me, you know, she found these papers before she left for Germany and she wanted to you know, look into it more and found out, you know, she was really adopted. And, and then I, I was like shocked, you know, and then I said, well, what about me? And she says, well, I, I don't know about you, but here's the name of the agency. And I, you know, I was really focused on mom getting well. Like I was thinking about it, but then I wasn't thinking about it because I wanted to, the, the priority was to make sure she got well. And then we could all sit down and talk about it. Yeah. And she never, you know, she never got well. So in the aftermath of her passing, what went through your mind then going back to, I mean, I'm sure there's this time of grieving but it's also mm-hmm. probably some confused grieving, too. If there's this question of her parentage to you, like, what? how did you end up getting to a point of actually thinking about your status as an adoptee versus their biological child? Yeah, so the year was 1991, and I was a year out of college. So I was a young woman at 23, just finding my way in the world. I didn't even have my first job yet. You know, already that, you know, get my student loan paperwork in the mail that I owe this and I have my degree in one hand, no job, but I'm also grieving, you know, the loss of my mother. And I decided that I wanted to do a search and still not processing that all this is really happening. My mom's gone. I found I'm adopted. I'm trying to find a, a new career, start my life. And trying to get counseling and prayer and all of that. And I decided um, to do a search. And I found my birth mother, like, by Labor Day. My mother died June 14th. And by Labor Day, she was found. In September. Wow. Yes. It it was pretty quick. It does sound quick. How did you do that? So... Fortunately, I had a social worker that worked at the agency that read me all my nine identifying information. And this is one thing I like about having an intercessor, someone that could do the work for you versus nowadays people are writing these letters and trying to do it themselves. But the social worker had reached out to her and, um, you know, told her um, that, you know, your daughter's been found, you know, would you like to meet her? And I remember her prepping me before all that unfolded after she read that it was like the two typewritten pages, non-identifying information. And she says, now I need to warn you, they may not want to meet you. Mm. And then she said, or they may be deceased. And what did you think when you heard that? I thought, okay, I need to be prepared for this. But at the same time, I wanted to meet them because I wanted medical information 
that I didn't have for 23 years. I'm going to the doctors all my life, giving them my adoptive parents information. I wanted to see some pictures to see who I looked like because I struggled with some body images growing up. And the whole genetic mirroring was important to me. And at the time where I had this loss, you know, I wanted to receive some gains, you know, as far, I mean, not anything financial, but just more love and support. Yeah. Some wins in the win column versus, right. for lack of better words, you know, the losses that you're feeling in your life due to exactly. your mother's passing, your now clearer understanding of your relation or non-relation to her, et cetera. That is a lot going on. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then I started thinking about my own mortality as well thinking about what if something happens to me mm. or if i wait several years to do the search you know they may be deceased the birth parents mm -hmm. or so other people may die yes and i should put this off you know even though i was still grieving i was a young woman i had this sense of urgency not to wait any longer did you have this feeling at, so the process to search for someone is not you don't just you know you initiate the process, but you have to fill out forms and you have to answer questions and you have to be sort of, you have to speak to your social worker and all this other kind of stuff. Did you have this feeling of disbelief? Like, I can't believe this is actually happening. Like, I have to actually do this. I was in shock. I mean, I remember when she read me all the information, I was like, this is someone else's life. <laughs> it was like it was a soap opera or some TV movie or something. I said, this isn't real. Yeah. Like, huh? Like, how could I have been naive all these years and not knew this? You know, it was it was just mind boggling. Like, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. But as we said, if you're raised in the shroud of an untruth, you don't know that there's truth on the other side of some veil. Right. right. You just don't right. know what's there. And I'm sure it was very shocking to learn that this had been, you know, the the true what they call chapter one of your life. Right. Versus what you had grown up to believe. Hearing her non-identifying information, Dee learned some of the details of her beginning that were gaps in her story that she hadn't thought about asking her parents. She didn't ask about her birth weight, for example, but that fact was in the records. Dee had been born in a leap year, so she wondered if her birth date, March 1st, had really been February 29th. All kinds of questions she never had before were bubbling up. Dee got information about her birth mother's life, the woman's siblings, and information about their careers. Back in the 1990s, the White Pages, a phone book listing all kinds of businesses, was the information accessibility of the day. All of Dee's maternal uncles and one aunt were listed in the White Pages, so they were easy to locate. Using information her uncles and aunt provided, the social worker was able to locate Dee's birth mother. The intercessor contacted Dee to say she had found the woman and she wanted to meet Dee. This was unfolding in 1991, so the women began writing letters to one another. Dee didn't meet the woman who lived in Georgia until the following year, after she had already met her uncles and cousins in Philadelphia. Each uncle met Dee individually with their wives and children. Then, on Labor Day weekend, everyone got together for the holiday, except Dee's birth mother. Was looking at me, trying to see who I look like. I mean, you know, looking at my nostrils and my face. <laughs> I mean, literally inspecting me, like checking me out, like you know, because it's it's the kind of thing like mama's baby, papa's maybe. You 
remember when your sister was pregnant, you know? Right, so right. They're just checking me out and everything. And, you mm. know, I felt like I was on display, like, and kind of like in the Antoine Fisher movie where he met all the relatives and they were, this is your cousin so-and-so, this is your aunt so-and-so. He, you know, he, a lot of attention was on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same type of thing. Like, you're the star, like, you're... You're the one everyone wants to be, you know, they, yeah. they've got a million questions. Yes. It's a, it's an odd sense of like starting to get answers and closure, but pressure because there's so many eyes on you and it's, there's this right. analysis of, you know, you in this moment and an evaluation of where you've been leading up to that moment. Right. Who is right. this person yeah. walking in the door, walking into this event and, you know, how do they look like the us? Are we going to like them? Are they going to like us? All of these other things. Like there's a lot on those. So you made it through this meeting. I presume you found some folks that you like and connected with, and mm-hmm. but you still haven't met your birth mother yet. How did that come about? Well, I talked to her on the phone and we were letter writing and swapping pictures and all of that. But Could you I didn't meet her. I w- yeah, I saw some characteristics, some facial features, some some physical characteristics. Yeah, but I I didn't meet her right away. I I waited till the following year, um, March of '92, and I decided that I wanted to meet her around my birthday, that my birthday month during my birthday month, and I thought I want to meet my birth mother during my birthday month. And everything will be grand, <laughs> and I remember my father. My adoptive father, we flew down there together and he stayed with her father who lived down the street, my grandfather from her. And then I stayed with her and her husband and the son. And, you know, it was like, you know, she wanted to call Oprah and I was like, no, we're not calling Oprah. You know? <laughs> like, even though she was joking, but I just was like, you know, I really wanted to have a one to one chat, you know, in person. But everything. I had a lot of questions. And um, I, the plan was that I would stay with her, and I did for a week. But she didn't take off any time from work. She worked every day and just spent time in the evenings. Really? And that wasn't what I was expecting. I, I didn't know how to manage expectations back then because I, the mother that raised me, you know, when it came time for my birthday, you know, I was celebrated. And I just felt like, you know, I was being tolerated, not celebrated. Um, and that, that quality time wasn't there that I was expecting, you know. And then I started feeling like the whole abandonment again. Like, oh, I'm not being put first. I'm not being made a priority. Like, all those feelings were coming up, you know. And you'll hear some birth mothers say, well, I put you up for adoption or relinquished you or placed you because I, you were a priority. And others feel like and might feel differently it's all semantics as far as the wording and the decisions that were made but you know i really want some quality time some bonding and i just i didn't get that because she didn't take off the whole week like so she would get up go to work every day come home and when we come home we're tired like you don't have the energy to put into an entire reunion you know you come home you just kind of want to like do one or two errands and then put your feet up. So I could see how that would leave you very empty, that there was not much given to you in the aftermath of going to work, let alone, as you've said, 
getting up and going to work every day. Like that was clearly an avoidance tactic. It sounds like to sort of say, yeah. you can come sort of meet me, but like, I'm not changing my life for you, but it feels like it was definitely an avoidance thing. And you know, I always try to remind adoptees that we return and bring back so many memories from the time when the woman got pregnant from all of the emotions she felt to all of the pressures she had to, you know, mm -hmm. everything that she felt in the aftermath and for it to even a year of being in contact with her and prepping for leading up to that meeting, mm -hmm. still seeing you right. walk through the door is a jarring experience. And it probably was really tough for her. And, she, and, and I assume she needed that avoidance, but I understand exactly where you're coming from too. Like we agreed to this. So let's meet in the middle a little bit. Let, I'd like for you to take a couple hours off work here and there so you and I can wrap a bit. I hear you. Yeah, and I think she also, well, she did tell me she had a migraine. And and I don't, I think if she had have just told her supervisor, look, I have this long-lost daughter. She's coming to town. I'd like to take a few days off. I would hope that any supervisor would be understanding. Sure. You know, would be willing to do that. But I, I think also when I look back, it's been 31 years ago that she didn't do her work, you know, like she didn't have the counseling, the preparation to prepare. And I had been talking to, I still was talking to the social worker who read me the non-ID information. And I still keep in contact with her, really built a good relationship with her. And I'm, I'm always big on prayer and counseling and getting support. Mm. And I felt like I was, you know, ready to do the work because I didn't, I didn't even have a job yet. So I had time to go down there to meet her. I didn't have to take off from work. I had the time and I was glad that I did it when I did it before I really started my first job and getting into my career. But can you tell me a little bit about what it was like? What was the first meeting like? This is a big event. You have traveled to meet this woman with your own father. Tell, what was it like when you guys met for the very first time? It, well, we met at the airport, you know, they picked us up and it was like, it was just surreal. Like, I can't believe this is happening. I had just lost my mother, who I thought was my biological mom, you know, a couple months ago. And here I was gaining another mother that gave me up for adoption. I didn't know all my life. You know, she had, didn't even tell her husband about me or her son. Yeah, she eventually divorced him later after she finally met me but you know none of them knew like only her siblings knew when her parents and maybe the siblings wives knew but nobody knew so it was like still these secrets and she like my adoptive parents hadn't planned on telling me she probably hadn't planned on telling her husband right, right you know like right. Here, here we go again with the secrets you know? like, that's right and yeah. and, and and I feel like, it, you know, you can't keep keeping these secrets because you don't get healed. Like, you know, like it's just, you got to do it with your past. Yeah, I agree. And and it takes some strength to do that. But you also have to recognize that the past is in the past. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, there comes a time when you do have to deal with it. So I'm with you on that. But that must have been really tough to sort of be there present with her, but not have her be fully present with you. And to know that the same secret that you had discovered you grew up in 
was pervasive through her life too. You were a secret over there on her side of your story as well. Dee admitted she got some answers and a bit of closure after meeting her birth mother. The woman shared that she had been 20 years old, was going to be an unwed mother, and with their family trying to put siblings through school and money was tight, she had no support to be a mother. Dee said her adoptive father, who was older and more like a grandfather to Dee, was just fine in the whole situation. Dee was living at home at the time of her reunion, and her mother had just passed, so Dee and her dad bonded even more as she moved into a caregiving role with him, and their secret was out. Dee said she got the sense her dad was following his wife's wishes not to reveal their children's adoption. As the saying goes, happy wife, happy life. I asked how Dee's relationship with her birth mother was after that first meeting. Bittersweet. How do you mean? It wasn't the same. Like after that, I spent that week down there and we didn't do any quality time. It was hard to bond after that. And still on my birthday, you know, it's still no celebration, no cards, nothing. Ever and in any subsequent year? Maybe once or twice card or a phone call. But it was always about her, you know, like, you know, I'm the one that brought you in the world. And, you know, it's kind of like this, a victim, like, of all of this. That's interesting. And, you know, my thing is, you know, none of us asked to be here. None of us asked to be born, but we're here. And to go from a life from kindergarten through college of being loved unconditionally, provided for, celebrated, and then all of a sudden someone doesn't want to celebrate you. See the blessing, you know, that you are in their life. That's just, there's just a lot of irony there. You're you're right. It's interesting to think through the fact that the way you were raised was so loving, nurturing, focused on, and that to go back and get answers from the person who brought you into this world, they were not the kind of person or not in the space, perhaps, to give you that same kind of love, connection, attention, nurturing. Right. Mm -hmm. The adoption and the love that you got was so valuable, probably in creating sort of who you are as a person and that going back to seek answers didn't actually add much to that. It seems it seems like you got everything you needed from your parents, which is I did. I definitely did. Wow. Good for you. That's really, really. I mean, I I would say, you know, I would have got like to have gotten the more emotional support because I, I was a very sensitive kid and I cried and, you know, I was just told to be. I was embraced, but then at the same time told to be strong. Literally, I know I was going to need that strength later in life. Dee learned that the man she thought was her birth father, a very tall man who was headed to the NBA, died in a car accident two months after she was born. Dee didn't get to meet that man, but she did meet many of his contemporaries, who were mostly clergy in their older years. She learned that her alleged birth father was only one of two black basketball players on his final team, and she got to meet the other black player, and they stayed in touch. And all of the priests, they took me out to lunch, and the alumni director and everything, and you know, and I did a lot of research with trying to find, pick up articles and everything. And I met his mother, and she was just kind of in denial, like she didn't think I looked like him. And, she was wondering, why did I wait 23 years to find her? And I said, well, I was just finding out, you know, I wasn't told. And she she just didn't think I looked like when I wanted to do a DNA test, but she didn't want to do it because she was old school. She just, well, you know, you had a good life and why rock the boat, you know, type of thing. But she said she was bitter. She said she felt like my birth mother should have come to her and said, look, your son got our daughter pregnant. 
what are we going to do about it? She felt like her and her parents should have come to her. And she said, instead, they put me up for adoption and didn't even consult her. She said, I could have raised you myself because her alleged birth father was the her only son and Sweet. his father had died. So it was hard for me to bond with her. Dee said she sent her supposed paternal grandmother flowers, food, and called her, trying to open a door to create a bond. But it was always Dee reaching out. There was no reciprocity in their relationship. The bond never materialized. The woman moved to Maryland, living under her nephew's care, and Dee tried to visit her, especially because they lived only a few minutes apart. But the meetings were never allowed, and Dee kind of gave up. In 2017, Dee learned the woman had died. Concerned for medical information, she applied for her paternal grandmother's death certificate, from which she learned the woman had dementia. That medical knowledge influenced Dee's desire to do a DNA test to learn more about herself. She was working from home during the COVID-19 pandemic in 2021, and commercials for 23andMe kept coming on TV. They appeared on her laptop, too, and it felt like a sign that she needed to just submit a sample and get some health answers. Dee thought maybe someone else on her paternal side would show up on her results, who would be more receptive to knowing her. Dee submitted her 23andMe sample and received her results. So I go in, I do the search, and this other name comes up. And Maternal it's not the name I was told, yeah. Wow. The whole misattributed parentage of it. And so you got a direct a, connect to your biological father on an ancestry DNA test? Yes. Wow. It was 100% match. Oh, my God. It was a whole nother name and everything. And I'm like, what? And then there were email messages in there, too. So he now this biological father was one of 10 siblings. He's the oldest. And he had four sisters and then like five other brothers. And he was the oldest. And the youngest sibling is a, is a girl, and she's five years my senior. So she's, young, five, she's in the 50s decade with me, his youngest sister. So she was in that database and she was emailing me. She said, no, I think you're my niece. It's either my oldest brother or the young, next oldest brother. Because it said that she and I shared a percentage of DNA. And I have a, a brother too. And he was in there and he, our DNA matched up. And he was like, no, you're, I think you're my sister. I was like, huh? Oh <laughs> so I'm like, well, let me talk to the father, you know, this new father, father number three, you know, at this point, I've had three fathers. <laughs> oh my like, gosh, you're right. I didn't even think of that. Remember, Damon, to show to tell the truth. Will the real father please stand up? You know? Right. Oh my gosh. That <laughs> is crazy. Like to tell the truth, yeah, the game show. Right? I remember that show. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, but then I was like, you know, DNA does not lie. From what I've been told, it's not lie, you know. So then, um, you know, I, I ended up talking to him. And, and also, uh, also, the other irony is I moved to the D.C. area for work 14 years ago in 2008. President Obama was running for office. You know, it was an exciting time to be here. And I didn't have anyone here, family related. I had college friends that lived here, co-workers, but didn't think I had any family here. And all of them are living here in the D.C. area. D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Wow. They grew up born... Most of them were born um, in South Jersey, but they were raised in Arlington, Virginia. Unreal. You didn't have, think you had anybody here. And quite literally, the people you're related to were all around you. Yeah. 
And they came at a time where I desperately wanted family, you know, during this pandemic, like wanting to connect. Unreal. So, but my birth father's in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. He's the only one out West. Everybody's here in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And I got to talk to him on the phone. You know, we, we bonded and I ended up meeting him uh, last May. He's a golfer. He came out for a golf tournament. And my two brothers came. I met them. It was, again, once again, surreal. Like, this is can't be happening. So how? tell me, though, about this first connection with him, though, because that's an important, huge step. If you didn't know he was your birth father, it seemed like no, he wouldn't he didn't know I was you. either. Exactly. He didn't know I was. He didn't know I was giving up for adoption, let alone he had a door. He had no idea that he, you were conceived. No. So what was your outreach to him like? Yeah, I gave him all this. I gave him the non-ID information. And he had spent some time in Philadelphia. You know, they didn't have a relationship. You know, it was, it was just an, you know, an occurrence. Right. You know, when based on when I was conceived. So, but he remembered the facts and the incident and and everything. He's accepted me, like he hasn't denied me. Oh, that's great. And he's happy. He has a daughter. He has two sons already that are younger than me. One's four years younger, and one's I want to say eight years younger than me. And he's told them about you. Have you connected? With yeah, them? They, yeah, yeah. They, I met them. I met them all last year. And they how came was to the it? It was good. Yeah, it was a good reunion. That's good. It was a shock. You know, it's a lot. It's still a lot to process, but for sure. So as you reflect now on your life, I'm sure you've thought back on, as you said, questions that you asked but didn't ask all of the full questions and didn't get answers to. And then all of this journey that you've been through where you've had multiple potential fathers, you know, connection to your biological mother that, you know, didn't necessarily work out in the warmest of ways. Like, what do you think about as a late discovery adoptee getting plunged into this universe of discovery and questioning and things like that? Like, what goes through your mind as, as you reflect on your journey? That God has this master plan that we don't always understand. And, I, I, you know, I've been very reflective and very spiritual. You know, I think about some verses in the Bible. There's one that says, you know, I saw you before you were born. Every day was recorded in my book, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, I, you know, I just think about those things, that this was all part of a plan, like a divine manifestation, and how everything unfolded was divine timing and spiritual alignment. And, you know, it's a higher power at work. Like, I can't explain any of it. It's beyond comprehension. Yeah. You said it. It is beyond comprehension. It's hard to fathom and out of our control, isn't it? It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I will say as far as trust, you know, I've had to work on building trust with people because of it. Because Mm -hmm. I've struggled with anxiety. You know, I get anxious about things. I'm also attached too quickly, too soon Mm -hmm. with people friends, um, opposite sex relationships, and mm-hmm. knowing that I really have to get to know people. And it, it takes time, you know, building relationships. You know, it's a process and not trying to control the pacing of things, just let things flow and don't control the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Try to control the outcomes. And you feel like that is attributable to 
your adoption experience? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I think it's all relative. I really do. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I was a very trusting child. But I look back, you know, there was some na- naiveness. You know, I just believed. So, you know, I mean, your parents are going to believe what they say, you know. and But they tell you what they want you to know, too. Right. Right. But it's not. It, it's funny. You posit it as naivete, but it, it's it can't be naive if you don't know enough to know that you should question hard. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So it's really fascinating. But it's great that you're in this place of self-examination and recognizing like some of these missteps that I've had could be attributable to how I was brought up, my experiences, the truths that I have learned about myself and sort of discovering myself going forward. So really fascinating. And I, I work for the federal government, but my passion is coaching. Like, and I really feel like I've turned my pain into my purpose. Oh, that's really cool. Helping others, you know, whether it's through it, I'm in a lot of the adoption support groups. And so Mm -hmm. I try to help people move forward. Like I'm talking to them and, and, you know, I see where they're really going backwards. And it's like, no, we have to move forward. We can reflect on the past, but we don't want to stay there. That's great. I love that. You're absolutely right. You can reflect on it, but you don't want to stay there. You'll stagnate and you can't advance if you're you're standing still. So that's great that you're helping to push people forward and help them discover their healthy new self. Right. Right. Really. You know, we can't take on and be responsible for what happened to us, but we're responsible for our healing. Yes, I agree with that. You're responsible for your healing. Well said. Really cool. Well, Daughter D, tell me a little bit, just real quick. Do you want to share why you refer to yourself as Daughter D? Well, for one, it's an alliterative phrase. I think it flows well. But also my birth father, that's what he calls me, Daughter D. And I I like it. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how we get endearing things from the people in our lives. And you say, you know what, I really like that. And you hope that it sticks and and you facilitate it sticking. So I can appreciate where you're coming from. Really cool. D, thank you so much for being here with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Damon. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you. No, of course. My pleasure. And I know that this late discovery journey is a hard one to go through, but it sounds like you really are sort of pushing forward, as you said, recognizing what has happened, but being responsible for your own healing. Yes. exactly where you need to be. And I'm so grateful to you for supporting other people and getting to that space, too. That is super important. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully we can get together in Maryland. Since I would love that. Mar- Marylanders. Marylanders. <laughs> right around the corner from each other. And fellow adoptees. We're kindred spirits no all the doubt, way. No doubt. <laughs> really cool, D. Thank you so much for being here. You take care, all right? Thank you. You all too. All the best. Bye-bye. Alrighty. Okay, bye. Hey, it's me. Daughter D lived a wonderful young life, not knowing she was adopted. When her adoptive mother passed away, her adoption was revealed and questions arose in her head. D was able to locate her birth mother, but the woman wasn't equipped to be in reunion with D and their relationship faded. Seeking paternal answers, D learned through DNA that the man she thought was her birth father wasn't the right person. Finally, the real guy brought acceptance into her life, helping her to feel whole. 
Dee and I did finally meet up for lunch here in Washington, D.C. at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Later, she told me that I helped her make a breakthrough on her paternal side of the family. That's what adoptees supporting one another is all about, helping to navigate every unexpected situation with the hope for a breakthrough. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Daughter D's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I really? If you're interested in some Who Am I Really merch with that cool logo with the heart with the missing puzzle piece, you can find links at whoamireallypodcast.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Damon L. Davis and follow the podcast at WAI Really. If you like the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star review in your podcast app or wherever you're listening. Your ratings really do help others to find the podcast too. Finally, I hope you'll check out my story in my memoir, Who Am I Really?, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. It's a quick, really interesting story that I hope you'll add to your reading list.